Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. That's right. We are in the book of James. If you want to go ahead and turn to chapter one, one. <laughs> that's right. Anybody think maybe we should have like a potluck or a barbecue or something uh, once we hit chapter two? I think so. I think that'll be a milestone. But premeditated, possibly. That's right. That's right. And uh, but uh, let's go ahead and let's turn to the book of James, chapter one. Second acid test, man. This is exciting stuff here. We're cruising now, and uh, James chapter one. And uh, we're all the way down, believe it or not, to verse 13. Can you believe it? 13B. B. Got it. Yeah. Okay, 13B is where we're at. Let's take a look at the next acid test. Okay, and of course, we saw it's temptation is the second one. Trials, the first one. Uh, temptation, the second one. Verse 13, when you get there, say moo. Got a couple moves. We're good to go. All right, there we go. It says this, when tempted, no one should say what? God is tempting me. Can you believe that people would do that? Yeah, we'll get to that. That's what our study is about today. For hello, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he, uh, when by his own de evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to uh, death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Don't get it wrong. Okay, is what he's talking about there, okay? And once again, we're taking a look at the book of James, which again, we saw is the theme of it is an acid test. An acid test for the early church when they finally got out into the world. Because the reason why is because Satan's got an evil plan. Just like it was then, so it is today, believe it or not. The church is flooded with phony baloney believers. And so the last thing that God wants is a bunch of phony Christians going out there telling people about Jesus. Because they're not going to get the right Jesus or the right gospel. So James puts out the acid test. And the first one we saw course was how do you handle trials if you walk away from your trial and you literally renounce jesus it wasn't that you lost your salvation the bible's very clear he never had it in the first place okay uh but the good news is because we true born again christians do go through trials we can have a constant joy in the midst of them not just for us but as we're out in that world being a positive witness 
for Jesus. Now, what we saw is then the second trial he comes up with, or the second acid test, is the issue of uh, temptation. Okay, the first one is how do you handle trials? The second one is how do you handle temptation? If you were here last time, we saw the phrase there, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Key word that's used there, no one. That's an absolute. That Nobody on planet Earth, absolutely zero. Don't you even think about this. Nobody ever say, certainly as we're going to see in the context today, God is tempting me. But what we saw before we got even into that is the whole issue is don't, in essence, blame your sin on somebody else. This is the acid test. Don't let anybody blame your sin on somebody else. If you're truly saved, you don't do that. Why? Because you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that we Christians can take a spiritual detour or go into a spiritual ditch. We can't. I'm not saying that we can have a delay in owning up to our sin. We can. But hopefully, you're concerned about your sin at some time. Hopefully, you begin to cough it up at some time. But if you continue to march forward and you could give a rip about sin, even when you're confronted with sin, you still deny it or you blame it on other people, that's not a good sign. Because how can you be indwelt with the Holy Spirit and not be concerned about sin? Because he's there, as the scripture says, not only our deposit, our guarantee, God's our bone engagement ring, making sure that we're going to heaven, praise God, but he's there to convict you of sin and righteousness, okay? And uh, he'll let you know when you get out of line. God writes his law now inside of us by his spirit, uh, the fulfillment of the, uh, the promise, okay? You don't sit there and say, they made me do it, he made me do it, she made me do it, or even people, uh, uh, the devil made me do it, okay? At some point in time, you say, just like with King David, listen, it's my fault, God. Surely I was sinful at birth. I know I did this. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm not rationalizing it. Get this sin out of me. Cleanse me with hyssop. Do what it takes. Beat me, pound me. Get rid of this sin. That's what we saw with David. That's what makes his Psalm 51 prayer so awesome is he owned up to it, no excuses, and said, God, I'm not just owning up to it. Get it out of here. And if you do that for me, I'll even warn other people, don't go that same way. That's, by and large, what you would expect from a true redeemed person. Okay, that's your acid test. If you just sit there and blame other people for your sin, say that you have no sin, the scripture says, even the apostle John, hey, the truth is not in you, you're a liar. Okay, you're fake, you're phony, okay? And believe it or not, folks, uh, it gets even worse. Believe it or not, people not just blame others for their sin. This is what we're gonna deal with today. People actually blame God for their sin. What? Okay, and what we're gonna see is this now moves from blame but now you're going to cop it on God? Now you just went into the category that's called blasphemy. Okay? This is blasphemy. Excuse me, God? And that's what he says there. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. And he continues on. He says, you know, little Crone translation insert here. Are you nuts? Did somebody feed you chicken? What is going on here? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, let me, let me read to you the expanded Greek. Let no man be saying when he is being solicited to sin, by God I am solicited to sin. For God is incapable of being solicited to sin, and he himself solicits no one to sin. Okay? Again, now you just move from blame, and, but now you're specifically targeting God. You just moved into blasphemy. And this is what James says. He says, are you crazy? Are you nuts? Okay, so why is this blasphemy? Because this attacks the core character of God. Not just attacks God's character, but his core character. And that is God is his, is his holiness. Okay? Now, God is love. But you never see in the scripture God is love, love, love. God is just. 
in his character, but you never see in the scripture God is just, just, just. But what you do see in the scripture repeatedly is God is not just holy. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. A general rule of interpretation in the scripture is anytime you see something repeated, God put it there for emphasis. It's like God saying, I really want you to understand this. And if there's one attribute of me, God says, that I want you to really get, it's I am holy. I am holy. I am holy. Now, holy means without sin. As the scripture says, God in him, there obviously there is no sin. There is no darkness. There's not even shadow. God is light. He is without sin. He is pure. He is holy, okay? And so the very fact that somebody would attack his core character and say, you, God, made me sin? Let no, or what? Evil repulses God. Sin has no place in his character. It cannot penetrate God. Okay? As one guy said this, think about it logically. He says, listen, if God were to tempt someone, then this would mean that he had delight in seeing someone else do evil. But he who knows no evil cannot delight in evil. Okay? But then let me give you a little teaser because some people will bring up other passages of scripture out of context and say, well, yes, God does tempt people. No. The first one that people, believe it or not, I want to get you equipped in case the skeptic comes along, because they'll usually bring up, uh, usually one of three or all three of these passages out of context. The first one is Samuel 24. Okay, and Samuel 24 says, quote, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Now this is where David committed the sin of not trusting in God's provision. He numbered the men. And trusted in like, yeah, nobody can get us. It wasn't because God's our fortress and our defense. It's we got a bunch of guys, right? And so that was sin, okay? But what it said there, wait a second, did God tempt David to sin? No, because you have to read the rest of the scripture, okay? First Chronicles, okay, First Chronicles 21 gives us the answer and tells us who really did entice David to sin. And it says this, and Satan stood up against Israel and enticed David to number Israel. So read the rest of the scripture, you get the full story. Okay, but again, this is what people do. They take it out of context. Okay, God allowed the enticement, of course, as a test. We'll get the difference between tempting and testing in a second. Okay, because God does test, but he doesn't tempt. God allowed the enticement to test, but he was not the author of it. Who was the author of the enticement to sin? Satan, the Bible clearly says that. Another text that they'll take out of context, that's not only one. The other one is Matthew chapter 4 with the uh, temptation of Jesus, where it says, and then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So is that God doing it? No. Who's doing the tempting when he's out there? The devil. It says it again, just like the first passage. The devil's the one who's doing it. Again, God will allow it as a test, okay, but he is not the author of the temptation, okay? And then I'll give you one more. Matthew 6 Okay, this is actually a, a, a context uh, today, Matthew 6, and where it says in the prayer when we're, Jesus, and this is how you should pray, it says there in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So is that something that we should be praying, that God should, wouldn't tempt us with evil? No. In the context, it's us asking God to protect us from the evil one, okay, to God, don't let these temptations become more than we can handle. And God assures us that he's not going to do that to us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, There shall no trial or uh, temptation 
overtake you, but which is common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation, he'll make a way of escape that you may be able to bear through it. God is going to provide a way out of every temptation, okay? Even if he allows it, he's not the author. If he allows it for a test, he's still going to provide you a way out because God doesn't want you to sin. That's clear. That's consistent. Matthew 6 is asking God to lead us not into a trial that becomes so heavy duty that Satan can turn it into a temptation to sin against God. God is not the author of that, okay? Now, I said all that to get to this, okay? Because people would actually say, because we, we sit there and we'll read this, let no man say, God is tempting me. And we're going, oh, I agree with you, bless me. We would never say that. I'm telling you folks, believe it or not, and I'll get to that hopefully in a second, Christians can do that. Or people professing to know Christ. I should say, I don't know their heart. I'm not saying they aren't, but I don't know, okay? Uh, they do. It's gotten so bad, okay? And I think part of it is we don't understand, again, the difference between a test and a temptation, okay? We're going to Greek out a little bit this morning, okay? Yeah, it's time to get your Greek on, okay? And there's actually uh, uh, two different Greek words uh, that are used uh, for tempting, okay, in the scripture. The one that's used always of God, okay, of God, okay, uh, is the Greek word dakimatso. Let's say that. Huh? Isn't that cool? That's a cool word. And it means the act of testing someone for the purpose of approving them. You got that? It's always used generally of God, but it's never used of Satan. And this is what we saw in verse 12 in James. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved. That's the Greek word dakimatso. For once he has got allowed the trial, but once he has been approved, in other words, once you pass the test from God, not a temptation, it's a test, okay? He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So again, God doesn't tempt, but he will test to see you approve, to see you grow, something positive. Now, the word that's used of Satan when he does it is a different uh, Greek word, and that's uh, perazzo, okay? Perazzo, and that means to try or test with the intention and the hope that the one put to the test may break down. Okay, so that you can fail, so that you would sin. And this is the word that's used of the evil suggestions from the enemy. This is temptation as we think about it, okay? And let me give you an analogy of a difference, okay? Because people say, well, that's still not nice of God that he would put me through a test. No, 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 it's a necessary process for us to grow, okay? Scripture says that God's our heavenly father, that we are his children, okay? As fathers, your children... Uh, guys, we don't usually get this, uh, appreciate this as much as the ladies, but uh, when we are born, we come out these little things. Uh, most ladies are very glad that we don't come out fully adult, okay? And you see, you get that, okay? And, uh, but uh, so that means when we start out small, we're going to grow, but as we grow, okay, uh, there's a growing process. Uh, one of the things you need to do is learn how to walk, right? Anybody was born and you just ping, started running down the hallway? That'd freak you out, wouldn't it? Okay, but uh, that's not how it works, okay? So what do you got to do? You have to teach the child how to walk. And this is documento, okay, in a father-child relationship. This is God, if you will, as the child is just still can't walk, but what do you do? You test them. How's their legs? And you're right there. They're not going to fall flat on their face. They're not going to break your teeth. You're right there. In fact, you start off with maybe holding their hands a little. And you get them, and they're, they're still just doing this thing. Woo-hoo, looking like Bobby dancing earlier. That freaked me out, too. But we, I still love you. Right, but, 
<laughs> you should have saw, no, maybe you shouldn't. You'd have nightmares like me tonight. Pray for me. But anyway, so, so the, the legs are wobbling, <laughs> the legs are wobbling, right? And, but you got the, the kid's not going to fall, right? But you're, you're testing the legs. You're seeing how much strength. And then uh, as the child continues to grow and you see where they're at and you work with them trying to teach them how to walk, they, they might actually be able to take a couple of steps. With it, but, they're, you know, but you're right there. You might even get to the point where you're taking the child and they're, they're, getting, they're taking a step and you just ever so lightly lift your hands off the child and they're right there, right? But then you let them go, whatever, like that. And then they're, ah, uh, you know, that's right. Now, now, here's my question. Was that father evil? I mean, he, hey, there was a point when he actually took his hands off. Man, he's horrible. No, that's Doki Manso. That's what God does with us. So he's always right there with us, but he'll test us. But what's for the purpose of the test? To grow stronger, right? Because we, we have to grow up. We have to walk. It's just a natural process of going from uh, being a baby into an adult. And so it is spiritually. That's used of God, dokimazo. Now, let me give you the same analogy, except this is used of Satan. This is perazzo. This is uh, that's used of uh, temptation to sin. Okay, take the same child, put him up here. He can't walk. He can't even hardly even crawl. But go ahead and put him up here on top of this pulpit, okay? And then literally, quickly, uh, run down here, uh, down here uh, below the steps there in front of the child, and then literally tell the child to jump, 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 and somehow they could try. And then as soon as they actually try to jump, get out of the way and let them fall flat on their face, smash their teeth in, and break their nose. Now that father's evil. Well, that's the word that's used of Satan. Do you see the two different ones? God will test, but for the purposes of good, dokimazo, but he will not perazzo. That's Satan. And this is what makes this statement so blasphemous. It's bad enough that you don't own up to your sin. And that you blame, period, we saw last week. Excuse me, because this is in essence what, what somebody's saying. God is tempting me. Let, me. let me give you the Quran translation. God is like Satan. Get that off your mouth. How dare you, James says. Are you nuts? Let no man say that. God is not like that. Satan does. But God is not. In fact, verse 13, listen to how many times he is clearly speaking, not of Dokimazo, what God does, but of Satan. Verse 13, let no one say he is tempted. That's perazzo. Okay, I am being tempted, perazzo, by God. Okay, for God cannot be tempted. Uh, a perastas, that's a negative form of perazzo. Okay, meaning there's absolutely no way that he can do that. Okay, and he himself does not tempt, perazzo, anyone. That's just in that one verse. You don't have one dokimazo in there. And so let me, let me break it down even further. Let no one say that uh, he is uh, being uh, solicited to do evil, uh, that he is being solicited uh, to do evil by God. For it's impossible for God to do something like that. He doesn't do that. Okay, and he himself uh, doesn't do that. That's reserved for Satan. Let me break it down even more. Let no man say uh, when he is tempted that God is acting like Satan. For God cannot be like Satan and he is not like Satan. Unlike Satan, God is holy and it's blasphemous for you to even think that. Let alone actually come out of your mouth. Can you be a Christian and do that? Gosh, you wouldn't think so. I mean, but again, I, I don't know somebody's heart. I know, hey, hello, we Christians can... We can do some pretty rotten things. Okay, let me, let me give you an example real quickly of, of one guy. Uh, I, was he Christian or not? I don't know. But he was involved in a sin. And, uh, and he was in ministry. And uh, it was with a woman. 
and uh, was not his wife. And uh, he, uh, when I met him, this had already uh, transpired and stuff, but when I met him, he was a very angry man. And, uh, and he was just like, he was, so, he was mad at God. God, why did you allow this? God, why? You could have kept me from doing this. God, this, whatever. And I kid you not, I always want, I've tried to be his friend and work with him and counsel with him, but I always want to stand over here because I'm going, lightning bolt's coming any day now. <laughs> I'm serious, man. It freaked me out. I didn't even like being in the presence of somebody voicing that. And it, it scared me, it concerned me. And my heart actually broke for the guy because I'm going, dude, if you would just own up to it, God will not only forgive you, he'll begin the process of making sense out of it. He's so powerful that he can even use our mistakes and still turn around for good, but you're going to be stuck in this baby if you not only blame other people and don't take ownership of it, but you're in a heap of trouble, man. You ain't going to go one step further, even if you are a Christian, if you sit there and shake a fist at God. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. It'll stop you dead in your tracks. And it did. Okay? Now, not just in those scenarios, but our culture, uh, believe it or not, does a masterful job at blaming God for sin. All right? One of the things, and that if you think about it, this is really what's going on, when it comes to weather, they blame God. The whole time they deny God as being the author of creation, okay, but uh, they always say, not Father God, they say Mother Nature, right? They deny that he's the one who created all things, okay? Okay, but they'll so, so they'll say Mother Nature all the time until some sort of catastrophe happens. And they'll say, even in insurance forms, it was an act of God. They'll blame it on God. Really? Why don't you just say blame it on Mother Nature? You're so hip on that, right? But no, they'll actually blame it on God. That's actually how they fill out the forms, as far as I understand. Okay. Now, again, it's not that, uh, listen, the, the reason why we have tornadoes today, the reason why there's earthquakes, the reason why this planet is messed up and cracked up and getting worse, okay, uh, is because of sin. Man is the one to blame for this. It has entered into the world, and all of creation, as Paul says in Romans 8, is groaning and travail. Oh, man, get this over with, okay? Uh, that's the reason why we have those things. Another hot topic that uh, our society will actually blame God, and believe it or not, the church in backhanded is doing the same thing, is on the topic of homosexuality. Okay, if you stop, now stop and think about this. Our phrase here says, let no man say, and when I'm being tempted, God's tempting me. What? Are you crazy? But yet, is this not what people are saying today with this behavior? Right? What are they saying? They're actually now getting to the point where they're saying, God made me this way. Whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. Now you're saying perazzo. Now you're accusing God of being like Satan. Now you're saying that God is the author of your sin, right? Now here's what's scary. It's one thing for the world to do that because they don't know better, right? They're not indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But for the church now to sit there and say, oh yes, it's perfectly acceptable, even behind the pulpit, it's now saying God is accepting and authoring sin. Do you see how scary it is? This isn't just a social issue. This is an attack on the core issue, the core character of God. That he is holy, he is holy, he is holy. And the church is so filled with apostasy today, so far down the stinking tubes, that now we are actually saying that God is unholy, 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 and he could give a rip about sin. Oh, and by the way, he's the one who authored that sin. Slap that off your mouth. Okay, so what, are you crazy? And this is what James says, don't you ever do that. Do you have any stinking idea how much of an affront this is? Now again, what's the whole purpose of the trials were what? Acid test. Now do you see where he says, oh, pay attention to how people deal with temptation slash sin. 
and what their attitude is towards it and what they say about it. That might be another acid test of not just a moral behavior, but whether or not they're truly born again. Sin is a serious issue with God. In fact, it was so stinking serious that he had to send his son to die for it. God doesn't play with sin. God doesn't author sin. It's a serious affront to him. And for the church to say that he's the author of it, we were in sad times. Okay? So just to finish up our study today, I wanted to just give us a taste of how much, I, I, and I really, I want to give us a, a deeper flavor of why James would literally finish it up and say, let no man say this. He says, for you know, listen, God can't be tempted by sin, nor does he tempt anyone else. Are you crazy? And I really think that if there's one attribute that you really don't hear much about in churches today, uh, it's this attribute of God, his holiness. And I like what one theologian said. He says, I think the reason why we don't hear much about God's holiness is because it scares us. And you know what? It should. Because we are inundated in a world full of sin and we play with sin and we rationalize sin. We're immersed in sin and we have no stinking idea how sick it is to God. But the scripture gives us an indicator of when people actually encounter the actual holiness of God, it has radical effects on them. Okay? And you don't play with sin. Let me give you a couple examples. The first persons uh, to encounter that I'm going to bring up uh, today uh, of God's holiness is the Israelites. Okay, let's take a look at what happened to the Israelites. Uh, this is Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 19. Okay, and they encountered the holy presence of God. Okay, as he came down on the mount there. Okay, and here's what they says there. It says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the horn, and when they saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, listen, trembling with fear. <gasps> and they said to Moses, you tell us what God says and we will listen, but, but don't let God speak to us directly. If he does, we will die. So according to the scripture... The Israelites, when they finally came across the actual presence, not the fake thing, not a goosebump thing, the actual presence of our holy, holy, holy God, what was the response of the people? Fear, trembling. Oh! Right? Now, contrast with the response that uh, we have today in the American church. Hey, God, great to see you, old buddy, old pal of mine. High five. Woo, yeah. We're really flipping. And we're going to begin a new series, and we're going to talk about having an intimate, personal relationship with God. And that's awesome. But at the same time, he's God. Don't forget that. And I think we've gone out of balance with that, okay? Uh, but no, that's not their response. They said, please, Moses, please, 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 please. And you can hear it on their voice. Oh, they're trembling. It says trembling with fear. Don't, uh, we can't even listen to them. We're going to die. You don't hear that much anymore, do you? Oh, and then, can you imagine if the Israelites got up there and says, God, you made me sin. What do you think he would have done right then? Lightning bolt. Let me give you another example of that. And this is Samson's parents. Okay, Samson's parents. This is in Judges 13. Samson's parents. Okay. And uh, let's take a look at their response when they encountered the holiness. Uh, Judges 13, verse 20 through 22. And the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Okay. And this is just the angel of the Lord. Okay. And uh, seeing Manoah, seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized it was the angel of the Lord. And here's what he says. We are doomed to die. We have seen God. 
Now, contrast with the response that we usually get today, say, you know, people in the American church say, well, it's about time you did something, God. Don't you know how long I've been dealing with this situation? Don't you see the pain we're in? What is wrong with you, God? You ever hear people kind of sort of pray like that and act like that? And yet, what was their response? Oh, we're doomed to die. The actual holiness of God, if we understood it, folks, fear and trembling, it'll make you fear for your life. Ah. See, when you understand the holiness of God, I think you can really now appreciate the grace and love of God. Because our sin has been so dealt with completely with Jesus on the cross that we don't have to respond like that anymore. As Hebrews says, now we can approach his throne with boldness, freely, to receive mercy in our time of need. Right? But if your sin's not dealt with and you sit there, and can you imagine people saying that to God? Where have you been? Why is this happening? Get that off your mouth. Let me give you another one. Daniel chapter 10. Uh, Daniel, believe it or not, uh, went with this. And this, is not, this isn't Daniel who's, who's goofing off in his walk with Jesus. This is, uh, or God. This isn't Daniel who's a casual, uh, you know, follower of Jehovah. Uh, this is the mighty prayer warrior Daniel. Okay, and the context here is he's been praying. He's been praying for quite for a while for an answer to something. And uh, God's holy angel, not just God, just a holy angel shows up to tell him. This is what it says. I, Daniel, was the only one to see this. The men who were with me, although they didn't see it, were overcome with fear and ran off. Left him alone. Ah! And they took out. When in whole, well, just one holy angel of God. Fearing the worst. Left alone after the appearance, abandoned by my friends, I went weak in the knees, the blood drained from my face. I heard this voice. At the sound of it, I fainted and I fell flat on the ground, face in the dirt. So again, this is Daniel. He's the great prayer warrior of God. And he's praying three weeks for an answer to God. And so one day, God sends one of his holy angels to give him the answer. Praise God. But what was Daniel's response? Was it like people today when they get impatient with God? Well, now you tell me, God. Don't you see how long I've been praying about this? Don't you see how much time has been wasted? Don't you see how much things could have been gone different if you wouldn't have showed up earlier? Can you imagine people doing that? Have you ever heard people with that kind of attitude? What was Daniel's response? This is just a holy angel. I had an instructor always says this. You need to suck carpet with God. Down before him. Start sucking carpet, ma'am. And that's what we see here. Excuse me? God is always on time. It's just his time, not our time. How dare you accuse him of being late? As if he doesn't know what he's doing. See, that's his holiness. Let me give you two more. The next one is Job. Okay? Job learned this lesson. This is at the end uh, of Job. Job 42, 3, 5, and 6. You ask God speaking back to Job. Okay? And again, he's starting to like... Ah. God, well, you know, the kind of the why thing, you know? And, and, so he said, and so then God gives him a basically an attitude adjustment. You ever get an attitude adjustment from God? In the context there of Job, I forget how many is this, 40 sometimes, I think God asks Job rhetorical questions, okay, which are not really meant to answer, but he's just basically reminding you, okay, we do the same thing as parents, right? God's saying, hey, Job, were you there when I created the universe? Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, were you there? Excuse me, Job, were you there? Job, Job, did you do this? Do you realize this? Job, Job, we do the same thing as mom and dads, don't you? Kids start whining, complaining about, hey, listen, 
Are, are you out there busting your tail? Are you the one that bought this house? Are you the one that bought the clothes that you're wanting to play? Are you the one who buys the soap that you never use? Or the t- you know, you know, are you in, right? We do the same thing. And so he's given Job an attitude adjustment. And so God sets him in a place like, Job, you don't need to question me. I know what I'm doing. All right? And so here's Job's response. You ask. He's speaking to God. Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful me to know. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Oh, that even came out of my mouth, God. Is Job's response. Okay. Now, is this the response that you hear from people today in the church? God, what is the deal here, man? What are you up to? You don't know what you're doing. Why do I have to suffer like this? This ain't right. This ain't fair. What are you doing? You ever hear people like kind of have that attitude? What, 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 what's Job's what would If Job were here today, you know what, Crone translation, you know what he would say to those folks? Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Do you have any idea what you just said? That you would charge God with wrongdoing? See, Job back in chapter 1, when he started out, he was doing it right. Because that's exactly what it said. He lost everything. And then his wife even came up to him and says, Job, just give it up, man. Uh, stop trying to uh, maintain your relationship with God and be righteous. Just curse God and die. Uh, shut your mouth, woman. Shall we not accept good and bad from God? He knows what he's doing. And the scripture says that he praised God, saying, God gives, God takes away. Blessed be his name. And it said, and he did not sin with his mouth, charging God with wrongdoing. As if he didn't know what he's doing, even in the challenging times. How dare you accuse him? See, if God didn't know what he was doing, that means that he is not God. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know what he's doing. And if he doesn't know what he's doing, that means he makes mistakes. A mistake is a sin. Now you're attacking his character. What? One more just to get you the idea. You're starting to get the flavor of why James is saying, let no man, are you crazy? How could you, what? How could a Christian say that about God? One more, and this is from Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Okay. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, 3, 4, and 5. It says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And at the sound of their voices, crying out, what attribute? God is holy. He is holy. He is, listen, uh, the doorpost, the threshold shook. Can you imagine all of a sudden angels show up here and they're just saying, holy, holy. And literally the, the lights start shaking and the, the building starts crumbling and here comes the sheetrock down. There's, ah, can you imagine the scene? That's what's going on here. Doom, and this is what he says, doom, it's doomsday, I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with, they talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate. Here I've looked God in the face, the King, the Lord Almighty. And then you will actually have people today in the church that will treat God's presence as if it's some emotional high. Oh man, it was so awesome. I was in the presence of God. And of course you have to talk like a surfer to get the point across. I was in the presence of God. And I had goosebumps on top of my goosebumps. And I cried like a baby. You know? Okay, now I went from a surfer to an English dude. It's an English surfer. Come on, work with me. You get up here and do it. <laughs> 
But now, now I'm, I'm not, and again, we're beginning a new study, renewing your faith, and, and it's about having that intimate personal relationship with God. Okay, but we can't ever forget he's God. And I think the pendulum has swung to the other side, where now God is just our cosmic buddy. And we've forgotten that, wait a second, but he's God. He's holy, he's holy, he is holy. And don't ever get there so loose, if you will. So listen, I think here's the word, irreverent. Because you can enjoy intimacy with God, but keep it in its context. Reverent. Yes, he sticks to us closer as a, a friend sticks uh, to a brother. It's, it's an intimate, it's a beautiful relationship. You're going to hear that from me, Lord, one of the next 12 weeks. But don't throw the baby out the bathwater. He's still God. And you need to have that reverent attitude. And I think that's a, a, a simple thing to, for Christians to do. Okay, you keep that in mind. Okay, and I also again think that once you understand that, uh, doesn't it make you appreciate the cross of Christ even more? Doesn't it make you appreciate the statement in 1 John 1, 9 that when he simply says this amazing statement, if we ask Christians, because we blow it still, right? We still sin in, did you know that God, we're going to get to this day, he's omnipresent, which means he sees and hears everything we do, which means we're actually not just always in the presence of Almighty God, he sees everything we do, including sin, which means there are times when we actually sin in the presence of God. Wow, praise God for the cross of Christ, who atones for all my sins, past, present, and future, so God doesn't see those anymore. See, I'm firmly convinced you cannot fully appreciate the love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy of God until you first understand the holiness of God. And when you understand the holiness of God, it magnifies what Jesus did on the cross and makes you a billion times more thankful, just like that. Woohoo! Yes, God. Thank you for saving me. And so when you understand that, the last thing you'd ever want to say is this, God, why didn't you? God, you should have. God, you... Whoa, whoa, whoa. And again, that's the, the point that James is saying. Listen, I don't know how far you can push that, but is this another acid test? Are Christians really that flippant with sin? So flippant that you not only don't own up to it, but you would actually say that God made you do that? Whoa, I don't think so. I think you're failing the test. Now, even if we are a Christian... And if we want to go in that route, unfortunately, hope not. But, uh, you know, we Christians can bullet, okay? And again, only God knows the heart. First of all, my point is, don't go there. Why flirt with that? It's either a sign you're a Christian who's in a spiritual ditch, which is not good, or it's a sign you're fake. And I don't know the difference between the two. How about just avoid it? How about not go there in the first place? You don't have to worry about it, okay? But the problem is when we do go there, fake or true, and because this goes on in the church, did you know, Okay, that irreverent attitude towards God, even the lost can see, and it turns them away. Okay, let, let me give you an uh, example. This is, a, this is a true story. I came across this letter uh, uh, several years ago, and it's a high school girl, and it was, it was on a blog, and I go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And she wrote this letter to her friend who invited her to the church service, but she never showed up. And she, but so she went by herself. So the, friend who, the Christian friend, supposedly, who invited her never was there. So she, anyway, whatever. So here's what she wrote back to her friend. She said, I attended your church service yesterday. And although you had invited me, you were not there. 
I looked for you, hoping to sit with you, but I sat all alone. Uh, as a stranger, I wanted to sit near the back, but uh, those rows were all packed with regular attenders. So an usher took me all the way to the front. I felt like I was on parade. Uh, during the singing of the hymns, I was surprised to note that some of the church people weren't even singing at all. Uh, between their sighs and yawns, they just stared into space. Uh, three of the kids that I'd respected on campus were whispering to one another throughout the whole service. Another girl was giggling. I really didn't expect that at your church. The pastor's sermon was very interesting, although some members didn't seem to think so. They looked bored and restless. One, one kept smiling at someone in the congregation. In fact, there were several people who left and then came back during the sermon, and I thought, as a non-Christian, how rude. I, I could hear the constant shuffling of feet and the doors opening and closing as the pastor spoke about the reality of faith. She said, listen to this, true story. She said, the message got to me, and I made up my mind to speak to someone about it after the service. But after the service, utter chaos reigned after the benediction. I said good morning to one couple, but their response was less than cordial. I looked for some teens with whom I could discuss the sermon with, but they were all huddled in a corner talking about the newest music group. And she said this, she says, my parents don't go to church. I came alone yesterday hoping to find a place to truly worship and feel some love. I'm sorry, I didn't find it at your church and I won't be back. Why? Maybe we've lost our reverence for God. How could you stop being excited about your walk with Jesus Christ and what he's won for you and the fact that we do have this intimate, personal, loving, beautiful relationship with the creator of the universe? How could that ever get old? Listen, if you always remember that God is holy, he is holy, he is holy, and always keep that in mind, and now contrast it with what Jesus did on the cross, you, nobody can slap that smile off your face. You're getting into the singing because you're worshiping God because you're so stinking thankful. This is the love song. I'm singing a love song back to Jesus. Hey, shut up. Stop making noise. This is awesome. We're listening to the actual word of God. Nothing religious. It's just, have you any context of what's going on here? What, what, why are you so bummed? What, what did you just say about God? After all he's done for you? Excuse me? I think our services would change. Right? If we got back to that. And that's James' point. He says, let no man do this. In essence, don't get to the point. Are you kidding me? That you would get so irreverent that you would accuse God of sin. Okay? Or even say that he doesn't care about sin. Or you don't appreciate what he's done to forgive you of your sin, to bring you into this intimate relationship, that when you do show up for services to him, you're bored out of your gourd. Let no man do that. Okay? It not only could be a sign of where you're at spiritually, but can I tell you something? Even the non-Christians can smell it a mile away. The thing that I hear a lot from non-Christians, you know what they're looking for? Here's the word. This is what they're looking for from us. Substance. They don't care how many verses we quote, guys. They want to see us living it. They don't want to hear from us, oh, come to Jesus, it's awesome. They want to see that you believe it's awesome every day in your face and how you smile. And how you seek him. That's what the lost wants to see. And again, remember the purpose of this book. This is, is it starting to fill out a little bit more for you? What, because like, man, we went from trials, and I get that, how that's a filter mechanism for fake and true. 
But now you've seen why his next one is temptation. How you handle sin. It's a dividing line, isn't it? It's an acid test. It proves whether we're genuine or not. Okay? And again, it's not just for us. Because the last thing that God wants is for a bunch of fake, phony Christians going out in this world with a lackadaisical attitude towards sin. When God is holy, he is holy, he is holy. He is so concerned about sin that he had to send his son to die in our place to cover it. How could we ever have a small attitude towards that? Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. 
And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.